Dr. Lori Marvis podcast. I am so excited to welcome Matt Frazier, who I actually met a few years ago on the Holistic Holiday Cruise with his lovely wife, Erin. Matt is the author of um, The No Meat Athlete, Run on Plants and Discover Your Fittest and Fastest and Happiest Self. Let me get the words out. And then his most recently, The No Meat Athlete Cookbook. How are you doing today, Matt? I am doing great. It's great to talk to you and catch up again, Lori. I know. Thanks for having me on here. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know you're busy with your family and running between sports and functions and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, just for some people who may not be familiar with you, um, can you give us a little background into what the No Meat Athlete is and actually how that came around? Because I know you have an interesting story. You weren't necessarily an athlete in the beginning. That's right. Uh, yeah, and, and I hope that nowadays that comes through with, with the message. And I wasn't a vegan or vegetarian in the beginning either, so I, I try to make sure that all that also comes through because I just, I don't know, I was always so turned off by the uh, by the kind of what I sensed as preachy, you know, militant thing. I just I just never liked that. Um, so I've always tried to, try to just be as welcoming and open as possible about all of it. Um, but the, the way that it all did happen for me was, you're right, I was not really an athlete at all. I mean, I, I played golf in high school. I don't know if that counts. Uh, but I certainly wasn't a runner and just kind of discovered fitness in college just on my own, started going to the gym. Uh, some friends and I decided we were going to run a marathon together, not being runners at all. We just like wanted this challenge. So, so actually my first, I think one of my first runs, like exercise runs was my first marathon training run. Like we just jumped into marathon training. Uh, it didn't go very well at all. I had hoped to qualify for the Boston marathon, just crazily thought that I could do that. Missed it by an hour, no, 103 minutes, so <laughs> not even close. But that kind of like set me off on this journey, just like this obsession to make that happen. I, I was like, wow, 103 minutes, like how much faster would I have to be? How much How much just like in better shape and more disciplined? All these things, how much, how different would I have to be in order to get that goal accomplished? Uh, so I, I set off on this journey to do it. About six years into that journey when I had sort of plateaued, uh, I just I kind of I wouldn't say I was giving up, but I, I was less confident that I was going to make it. And I said, you know what, this isn't working out that well. So I'm going to go ahead and change my diet to this way that I kind of wanted want to eat. Like I, I had wanted to eat for really for ethical reasons to start eating a vegetarian diet. I didn't even know what vegan was or anything like that. Um, but I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I don't really have anything to lose at this point. I don't think I'm going to get to Boston now. And I decided to do it. No idea where I'd get the protein or the calories. You know, I had all the all the myths that, that everyone worries about and just started this blog about it. I said, I'm going to start a blog. It'll be an experiment. I'll journal it because I was kind of looking for something to do with my life anyway. I was in grad school and just, I don't know, just not all that excited about anything. So I did it and uh, like much to my surprise, I got faster right away. It just, it worked for my running, which is the last thing from what I expected. I mean, I, I thought maybe there'd be some long-term health benefits or something. I just didn't think it was going to help with running though. And it did, and it, it just went amazingly well, and it only took me six months after that uh, to take the last 10 minutes that I needed off my time to get to the Boston Marathon. And after that, the website kind of just, just took off on its own. People started following. They had followed my story. Um, so, of course, it was, it was very helpful for my story that I qualified and that it worked so well. It just, it just all came together really nicely. Uh, so then, then the blog just turned into me talking about my experiences, what I had done, what I had done right, what I had done wrong with both running and the diet. And uh, as I started to meet people and learn more about this and just learn all about the amazing, really, I'm not, uh, that word's said all the time, but really the amazing health benefits of a plant-based diet, uh, I decided to go fully vegan 
and got into ultra running and did a bunch of 50 milers and a hundred miler. And that kind of, kind of brought me to where we are now. Wow. So what year was that when you that started, started, started the blog the, and everything? Oh, that was 2009. So okay, it's, been, so uh, 2009. it's been just over eight years now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, you just kind of fell upon a following. They didn't kind of, it wasn't necessarily your intention. You just wanted to share your story. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I tend to dive into whatever I get into, uh-huh. which I guess, you know, like, like the Boston Marathon thing, right? I just really went for it. Um, so once I started the blog and like realized that, that it was working a little bit and that people were reading it, then, you know, then I studied how to do that. And, oh, and cool. yeah, so, I mean, certainly it wasn't just that, uh, it wasn't an accident that it all worked out, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it all weren't, it, it all ended up being a very nice, good story to tell for sure. For, now, so tell me, how did the book came, that came about? <clears throat> the book came about because I didn't really do any coaching. I didn't, I just never wanted to do like the one-on-one thing. It just never was really my, my thing. Um, but someone who was like the head of a publishing company, Barnes and Noble's publishing company, just randomly happened to be a nomad athlete reader, emailed and wanted to uh, ask me if I would coach him. I'd be his marathon coach. And I said, you know, I don't really do this, but sure, why not? It'd be fun. And he ended up introducing me to someone who basically said, hey, let, let's do a book. Um, so it, it kind of just came about, like, and it was time. I kind of knew it was going to happen soon. I just hadn't really gotten it together enough to, like, do the whole book proposal and shopping around. Right. The, I don't know. I just couldn't get to that. Um, <laughs> so it came about, though, and, and I think that was probably when the blog was about three and a half years old or so. And I had a ton of content, you know, my, my, uh, I guess I knew I had enough developed that it wasn't very hard to put together a book from that. It not, I mean, very little of that was like reused content, but I had, I had kind of learned like what people needed to hear and what I needed to say. And, and it was, it was a pretty quick one to, to, to write. Cool. And then, yeah, and then now there's, oh, sorry. And then now here we are eight years later, we have the cookbook that, right. uh, that's, that'll be out soon. Yeah, and so the cookbook has – tell us a little bit about the cookbook. What exactly is in that? Because I know you're you're very focused on being family-friendly in the cookbook, right? It's not just for athletes necessarily. Right, yeah. So the first book wasn't a cookbook at all. I mean, that one just had 50 recipes that I'd kind of picked up over the years. Um, this one, you know, is a cookbook. It is, it is the no-made athlete philosophy in a cookbook. And uh, – yeah, the family-friendly aspect was was huge for me because, like, honestly, had I written this book four or five years ago, that wouldn't have been such a big part of it because I would have had one young child but not yet two and uh, wouldn't have really become skilled. Like, I think I've become more skilled at it, maybe not as skilled as you are uh, with three and much older, but, you know, it, like, I've just kind of learned to really streamline things. Like, in the old days, it was like I'd go the extra mile for nutrition or for recovery or whatever – you know, now I'm like, okay, I'll I'll do the 80% or the the 20% that gets me the 80% of the results. Um, so it's just it's I, I wouldn't say we cut corners. Like it's still really really healthy. Every recipe is a, has a no oil option. Uh, it's it's almost entirely whole food based, which is a big difference from the first book. Uh, but like we had a lot of really tough conversations. Who I, I co- co-authored it with a friend of mine who is a plant-based chef here in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I wouldn't say fights, but we had a lot of difficult conversations about like you know. <laughs> Should we should we choose the delicious option or the convenient option? And and we mostly went for convenient, and I'm I'm proud to say that. Yeah, no, I mean when I uh, we converted our diet, the kids were 13, 16, and 18. So honestly, it was uh, talk about difficult conversations and thumbs down and <laughs> thumbs ups and 
what are you doing, mom? <laughs> and yeah, no, you're you'd be thankful they're little. <laughs> that's a good point. Oh, geez, what a nightmare. And uh, I mean, so that's really cool. I mean, and then because you and Aaron, how old are your little ones now? One of them just turned seven. One of them turns four tomorrow. Oh, oh, happy birthday. And they're yeah. so adorable. Oh, my goodness. And uh, <laughs> I love those photos. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, have have you had any difficulties raising your kids this way or, you know, with family or friends or doctors? I mean, what have you guys done to raise your family in this manner? So when we gave birth to my son, we were still vegetarian. Uh, we were able to find, even in like, we lived in a suburb of Baltimore at that time. It wasn't hard for us to find a doctor who was sort of on the same wavelength as us. Even if he wasn't like, I wouldn't say he was a, a he wasn't certainly vegan or vegetarian, but he was okay with it. He was fine with it. He was sort of hippie-ish and a little bit into, you know, alternative <laughs> stuff. Um, and because we were vegetarian, he was like, he was like, yeah, we'll still give him cow's milk and, and do that. And that'll be fine. But then once he was about two, and a year after that, we had my daughter, then we became vegan, and uh, we'd moved to Asheville at that point, which even more of a easy place to find uh, the type of doctors we were looking for. Um, so that was really good. We were fortunate in that. And, you know, really, it, it hasn't been that hard. We've never really found uh, that much trouble. Like, obviously, we're not going to go to a doctor who is against it. It's just, you know, I, I, I know enough to know that it, you, you can find someone who knows what they're talking about who is not against it. Um, so we were able to do that. Uh, he, we transitioned him off of the cow's milk onto almond milk. And my daughter was, was born vegan, has always been vegan. And, uh, you know, it's like, it just hasn't been, we get all the time. I get, I get approached people saying like, Oh, how do you deal with the criticism from family or friends or, or their, their schoolmates, parents or anything like that. And we have just not really had that much of it. I mean, we've we've kind of just been really open about it. Maybe the fact that I do the website and, and have the books out, like maybe that makes people not – I guess maybe then people assume that I've done some research and I'm not just this crazy person who's doing this thing without thinking about it. Uh, but we really haven't had like almost any, you know, arguments or, or awkward moments or anything like that. Uh, people also hear – I mean, especially in Asheville, but I think more and more everywhere – are just starting to be more aware and accepting and accommodating of that. So like most birthday parties, they'll, they'll have stuff for them or they'll let us know ahead of time that they won't. And they'll say, you know, we'll, we'll bring our own thing. Um, but all I know, like, I think one of the reasons it's kind of been easy uh, is that like, we've never, I don't know. I, I guess this goes back to my, my allergy to uh, the, the preachy militant vegetarian thing where like it's almost not a choice. Like I don't, I don't ever want my kids to feel like it wasn't their choice. So I don't know. I always like encourage that. Like I, one day I'm sure he'll be at a birthday party and there will be hamburgers and, and maybe they'll want to try them. You know, I don't know. And and when they do, I will be totally fine with that. I'll say go for it. Uh, of course, I, by the time that point comes, I mean they've already heard so much. We we talk about it all the time. They know what I do for work. It's understood with them why we do this and like all the reasons, right? I mean the the animals, our health the environment, there's, it's all kinds of stuff. They're involved with the gardening, they're involved with the cooking, all this stuff. So like, if they decide one day they wanna try a hamburger, I, I think that's probably a good thing that they try it and then they can make a choice that says, yes, I understand why we don't do this and I'm gonna keep doing it or whatever, you know? So I want them to choose themselves. So uh, I don't know, I, I'd be totally fine for them to experiment and do whatever they end up deciding on their own. Uh, so anyway, I think that attitude has helped somewhat just that we've been sort of haven't been like super difficult parents about it that would that would 
make it very difficult for other parents. Um, as far as like the nutrition stuff goes, we we read uh, we have Furman's book, um, whatever it is, disease proof your you probably know disease proof your child is that what it is? Yeah, this disease proof your child. Yeah. Yeah. So we love that book um, more than anything for me. That one gave me the confidence that we were doing it right, mm -hmm. or or that this was okay because it's just like no matter how how much I don't know like like I said this is my job I do this all the time still in the back of my mind when I just see stuff online and whatever. It's like, wow, what if this isn't right for the kids? Like that that's just scary. And I'm not a doctor. Like I don't know firsthand enough to say this, this is a good thing for kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but reading that and just I'm I'm a huge admirer of Furman's work and everything that just just I don't know, so much evidence it was like, wow, I'd be crazy not to be doing this for my kids. So that that was really helpful to read that for sure. I think you're exactly right. I mean, some there's so many parents, even physicians. I, I interviewed uh, a friend of mine, um, Yemi Lancaster. She's a pediatrician in Washington State, and she's plant-based. And she runs into her colleagues that just like, you know, children can't survive without cow's milk. I'm like, we're not cows. <laughs> I mean, intuitively, we should know. We, we'll be okay if we don't have cow's milk. <laughs> we're humans. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird that that, I mean, that's such an obvious statement, and it's so weird that we, like, you know, we we're just raised to to forget that. That is drilled out of us. That idea that that maybe we shouldn't drink another species of milk. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's very true. And actually, when you know when kiddos drink cow's milk, they can actually become anemic. And pediatricians know this is a well-known phenomenon. So instead of saying, "Oh, stop the milk," they say, "Oh, we'll just give you some iron supplements." And so, I mean, if we're losing blood and making a child anemic, shouldn't we stop what's causing them to lose the blood? I mean, it's just. <laughs> seems logical to me, but I don't know. <laughs> Just call me, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 is, it blows my mind. But there are people coming around. You know, I, I had a really fun morning. I actually connected with probably 10 or 12 physicians who were really interested in lifestyle medicine and just don't know where to start, and they were reaching out. So mm -hmm. that was really cool. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where physicians are going and, and their training and everything. But you mentioned yep. Asheville. So why did you guys choose to move to Asheville? What is it so special about Asheville that you said is so friendly to the, um, the whole plant-based movement? Well, whatever it is that makes Asheville that way, that's what we moved here for. Like, we just wanted to get out of the suburbs. And like, we both kind of grew up in places that weren't at all progressive, um, you know, just all around progressive. I don't, I don't mean politically or, or in terms of just diet, just kind of places that are fun and funky and different. Uh, so we were actually, as soon as, as soon as Nomad Athlete got to the point where we could do that as a full-time thing and we weren't so bound to being in one place, um, you know, we both were really itching to just try something new and explore. And we were thinking a lot about the West Coast because neither of us had ever been there for any amount of time. But when we pitched that idea to our parents, like our son, I think, was only a year old, they, uh, they were not too fond of that, obviously, taking him across the country, which I t really understand. Um, so we were like, what's a kind of a West Coast-feeling place that we could do that would still be on the East Coast? And uh, I, I had found out about Asheville through my blog. Some, someone who reads it had left in a comment something about Asheville being a fun city, and I'd never heard of it before that. And this was five years ago, six years ago now, probably. Um, so like it wasn't quite. Asheville's gotten really popular in the past maybe three years. It just started showing up on all these lists of best places to, whatever, raise a family, drink beer, do do all kinds of stuff, mountain hiking. Um, so you know we had seen it. I drove down and we came and and I came back and told Erin how great it was and she had faith and said okay let's do it. So she, then we drove down here like a few months later. 
I found a place to rent and she came here sight unseen and we just picked up and moved. Um, so we came here for all the stuff. I mean, we knew that it was really vegan friendly. That's, that's the part that I had initially heard from this person who read my blog. Uh, but I didn't really realize how much like mountain culture and outdoor sports stuff there is in the art scene and music scene. The craft beer scene is pretty neat too. Um, so it just, it just seemed like a really cool, fun happening place to go. And uh, it has become even more of that since we've been here. It's really growing fast. Uh, but uh, just a good lots of lots of people who are who are like-minded, I guess, in their in their tolerance for people who aren't like-minded. So a bit, wide diversity of you know people on different walks of life here. So it, it's just a really good place, and uh, certainly certainly vegan friendly and people who are really into to the health food movement. I mean, because you have a wide variety. A lot of those things you mentioned you, are some of your hobbies, right? Like some of the. the <laughs> The craft beer thing, and can you share a little bit about what you find uh, hobbies outside of running, you know, long races and eating plants? Yeah, um, so I, I'm not quite the craft brewer, the home brewer that I used to be. I was that. The kids, the kids, just like with running, <laughs> the kids changed that a little bit. They made it harder. And it's not that I've totally stopped. Same with running, I haven't totally stopped. I just changed it. I didn't do as many trail runs. I kind of started doing it conveniently right outside of my neighborhood or something. Um, yeah, so I like the craft beer thing. Uh, I like reading a lot. I play guitar and mainly the drums. So we actually have two drum sets set up in our house upstairs because my son holds and plays too. Um, so I do that whenever I can find moments. And then just other whatever, nerdy stuff, play chess. Uh, I don't know. I keep to myself a lot and do a lot of like reading and just random things. Oh, I like gambling too. That's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 was, so I was in grad school. I was for applied math and I... Uh, yeah. One of the reasons I kind of stalled out even before Nomi Dathy came out was I was spending all the time like making gambling models for sports betting and all. I don't know. I just like it a lot. <laughs> Not like in an addictive way, I swear. I just, it's just fun. It's a puzzle <laughs> to figure out. Yeah, I think that's that's probably what it is. That's, I remember actually speaking to you guys about that two years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, because the boat had the, had the casino. <laughs> we were talking about your gambling and your, your uh, dive into figuring it out for sure. That was fun. <laughs> Um, now, as far as now, if someone was to go to your blog, what type of things do you blog about? Like, what what are they going to find when they go to the No Meat Athlete blog? Mostly, I think it is about simplifying things that people think are overwhelming and difficult and hard to do, like going vegan, right, or or plant based, or whatever you want to call it. Even going vegetarian, like even when I was, I remember when I before I went this way, thinking one time about being vegetarian, how cool it would be, and I was like, yeah, but like. I could never actually do that because just think about what would it mean? I couldn't go over to my dad's house for dinner anymore. And how would I talk to friends and like so many weird things would happen. So I just try to break that stuff down and help people like, I don't know if, so if I had found this 10 years ago, I guess I hope that it would have helped me say like, wow, this is actually doable because here's someone who's semi-normal and is managing to do this as well. Uh, so I think that that's my big, my big focus and what I'm good at is making stuff that people think is really hard uh seem somewhat easier and hopefully actually is actually be somewhat easier uh so usually for me nowadays that comes in the form of of nutrition stuff i mean i try to just kind of talk about different philosophies around food always tending towards simplicity rather than complicated things i don't really think most people need to think about numbers when it comes to eating i just i just don't think that's the right way to do it um I have some, you know, ideas like that about running too, and a lot of things that helped me. You know, I turned into a decent runner from someone who really was a terrible runner. I mean, I just hated it as a kid. It was never ever my sport. 
And I kind of figured out the stuff that you need to do to get way better. Not not at an elite level, not anything where you're where you're putting in hundreds of miles a week. I mean, just a week. Um, but things that most people can take and and you know do a lot better with some work. It's not they're not hacks, they're not shortcuts. It's just simplifying things that are hard. Uh, I don't really consider that my expertise now. Like I'm I'm just not that serious of a runner these days that that it's my favorite thing to write about. Uh, but we have other people who write on the blog about that and triathlon and all different things like that. Uh, and I like to write about habits as well, like the idea of how do you how do you go about making changes. Let's say you get on board with the idea of going 100% plant based or of running a marathon or whatever. Uh, it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to know what you need to do to actually make it happen. And then it's another thing to actually get yourself to do those things that you need to do. And that's something that most people until probably five years ago, I mean, nobody was even thinking about that. It was just like once you know how to do something, either you have the willpower to do it or you don't. And like if you don't, then, oh, well, you failed. I guess, you know, you can wait a couple of years and try again and see if it works that time. Uh, but that's I mean, that's that's the intuitive way to do things. Unfortunately, this is how we do things. But it turns out that there's lots of stuff you can do to 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 improve your chances of sticking with it. And they're generally not the things that most of us tend to do. Like I'm someone who, who tends to get really inspired about a massive goal and want to like, let's say I decide that I'm going to run a marathon or something. If, like if I was a new marathoner, well, then I'd also be inspired to change my diet and I'd also be inspired to stop drinking coffee and to start meditating because that'll probably help too. And then it's like, okay, so day one tomorrow, I've got all these things that I have to do in order to start my marathon training. And you might be able to do it for three days or five days, but then, you know, eventually at that point I was in college, school gets hard or something happens. And then there's this one day when everything just comes crashing down and then you don't, you like, don't even think about it again. Maybe you feel guilty for a day or two. And then like a week or two later, it's as if you never even started because you're just totally done and you failed and you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to acknowledge it. Uh, so that, that all in like massive action approach, I like it. There are times and there are situations where I think it's, the right thing. Like if you're really, really motivated, maybe it can work. Uh, but for most people in most circumstances, I just don't think it's, that's it. I think taking the smallest steps possible. So nowadays if someone says I want to run a marathon and I don't know, I'm an okay runner, but I don't run that much. I'd say go run for five minutes tomorrow and go run for five minutes every day for the next week. And once you've successfully checked a box that says you did that seven days in a row, then let yourself run for 10 minutes the next week. And so on and so on. I mean, eventually you're going to start adding more than that at a time. Uh, what's really hard about this is we don't, you don't see any results. You don't see any physical changes. You don't become a better runner. None of that in the whole first month of this kind of thing. But you are changing what's going on in your brain. You're, you're creating a habit. You're making it automatic, this habit. You're setting up these small little wins that are easy to do. It's not, you know, and, and if you find yourself procrastinating on that five-minute run or, or not getting it done, then that's too big. Then you need to like either do even less than that or just stay at that zone, stay at that five minute zone for more time before you try to increase it. Um, so like, it's not about the physical changes at this point, but if you can have the patience to do that and do only that, not try to change five other things at the same time, because they're all draining that same willpower supply and it's going to run out. And when it does, you know, you're, you're going to have that day where you just give up. So, I'm kind of all about nurturing that that willpower and saying if this feels too hard, I realize I can't do it this hard again for two or three or four days in a row because I'm going to crash. That willpower will go away, and there's good science that demonstrates that it, it does behave this way. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I think you know you can apply it to diet as well, but it seems easier to talk about 
in the terms of exercise, I think people can grasp it more. But anyway, you're building that habit. You're changing on the inside so that, I don't know, a year from now, you're still running. Even though it took you a month to really start seeing the changes, a year or two years, hopefully five years from now, you're still doing it because you built that really strong foundation starting in your head. You're exactly right. And honestly, I think when we set ourselves up to do those massive changes and then we fail, we do that over and over again, we let ourselves down. And I think that has a big part of why it's easier to give up next time because honestly, you've you've let yourself down and they're just, you know, it's like someone letting you down that you're close to, it's yourself. And so I, I agree 100%. And I'm really getting into the habit formation because honestly, for as a physician, helping patients learn to continue a lifestyle, you know, change that's healthy, that habit formation, they need coaching into how to actually proceed and do that. And honestly, what I found is physicians are some of the most unhealthy people. (laughs) So even helping physicians become healthier has actually been uh, kind of a new interest of mine. And uh, so that's, you're exactly right. I think you're right on the small changes and small wins and you build confidence and it's all in between the ears. It's very true. Yeah. I like what you said about letting yourself down um, because that in addition to kind of training yourself, teaching yourself that, you know, you fail at change, that you're not good at habit change. But those small steps, those five-minute runs or those starting the day with a glass of water, you know, just like these tiny, tiny changes versus the whatever else you drink in the morning, um, these tiny things, each one of them, like even when they seem inconse- inconsequential, what they're doing to what you just said is they're helping you, they're rebuilding that trust in yourself. So you start to look at yourself. You start to just change that story in your head that says, when I make these commitments, I know I just tend to let myself down. You turn that into one that says, when I make commitments, I actually keep them. And you do that by starting with really easy to keep the commitments. So that's, I think, power, the small steps are a really, really powerful thing that uh, I'm glad to see that it is starting to become a popular topic online, at least. Yeah, and, and the internal dialogue is so important, what you're talking to yourself, what you're telling yourself. It's just, it's it's way more important than I really realize as a physician, because, you know, a lot of doctors, when you, when I've talked to colleagues about changing, you know, or, or telling them, you know, asking them to, well, tell your patients about, you know, these lifestyle habits or changing their diet. Why don't you talk to them? Doctors across the board will say, well, it's because they won't want to change. Why waste my time? They're not going to change. And I think it's really sad because we have not taught our doctors how to incorporate that conversation in a way that actually, you know, patients will be receptive. And so that needs to be, that's where we need to change. And I think um, it's, it's a really interesting thing that I see that needs to occur. And uh, when I talk to other colleagues about it, they agree. And so it's gonna, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, I've, I've, I've wondered about that as doctors, and maybe you can actually tell me if this is accurate or not. Uh, I've, I've always wondered if the reason that doctors don't really give someone a small step approach, I mean, it's more like the doctor diagnoses something, comes up with the solution, right? The new right. diet, the new lifestyle pattern, whatever it is you need to do. And then it's like, that's what you need to do now. You need to start exercising for 30 minutes a day Mm -hmm. not you need to start exercising for five minutes a day and then gradually build that up to a half hour and i've always wondered is that because doctors like they just know that this is the ideal and and kind of their commitment to perfect i guess prevents them from saying like be imperfect for a little while as you're getting towards that you know honestly this is what i think so if you go back to practice even 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, a physician saw their do- their patient, they spent, you know, 30 minutes with them, they wrote in a paper chart, 
you know, they sat down and had time with them to discuss all these different things. You talked about your family, what you did on vacation. You talked about your high blood pressure, blah, blah, blah. You prescribe your meds. So you had that time and luxury. But now we have this huge burden administratively. And to see more patients, there's fewer primary care doctors. There's more going into primary care or, excuse me, specialties. That's one issue. Then we have this electronic medical record. So when you go see a doctor and they're typing in front of you on this little computer, you know, a lot of those are not user-friendly. I know doctors who actually spend two to three hours after a long workday finishing their notes because notes are then required to in order to bill the insurance. And if you don't bill insurance, you don't get paid. If you don't get paid, <laughs> your administration is going to be down on you. And there's less independent you know, solo practices anymore. They work for hospitals. So there's a productivity that's required. And then you're being um, monitored on outcomes. So let's say they monitor someone's blood pressure. And if your patient's blood pressures aren't you know, under a certain level, you could actually get paid less from insurance or Medicare. So there's a lot hmm. of um, stresses outside of bringing a message of, oh, you know, here's the lifestyle medicine. Now, that's one thing. But I think the other thing is we were never taught how to share or do a prescription for lifestyle medicine or lifestyle changes. We were always told, you know, for them, preventive care was, oh, get a mammogram, go get, you know, a colonoscopy, which is really detection. It's not prevention. Um, And so we never understood. We're not taught about nutrition. We're not, you know, you said, oh, exercise is important. But all we have are national guidelines that say, oh, you should be exercising 150 minutes per week. Well, they don't tell us what that means. We don't, they don't tell us, okay, you should be exercising three, three days a week, should be strength training, two days a week, cardio or whatever. Um, We don't ever learn how to talk about breaking, you know, habits into smaller chunks. And so encouraging patients, you know, we never learn how to meet patients where they're at. And so, and, and I don't, I think physicians in of themselves, they're so stressed out. I mean, we have the highest suicide rate of any profession, physicians. Hmm. And wow. we lose 400 physicians a year on, to suicide. And, um, you know, besides we have all the same stresses that everyone else does on top of, you know, taking care of, you know, probably 2,000 patients on a panel for a normal primary care physician. And so right. there's so much that's not spoken about or understood and physicians as a group are very poor at um coming together and being a, a voice for ourselves we, we're very reactionary we just like we just want to take care of our patients leave us alone um and then we get angry and quit or you know some you know move out of the country some go down to part-time they go into other jobs that can use their medical knowledge that are no longer patient you know care involved and um, it's really unfortunate because my daughter starts medical school this fall. And so oh. I worry <laughs> about, you know, what is she entering? I'm happy and so proud that she's going to be a fabulous physician, but I'm worried about the environment that she's going to be practicing in. But so, yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, I have one goal or two goals would be one, help physicians become more organized because they need to be able to go into their day knowing that they're going to be able to leave on time. You know, what other job do you go in and you're already working you know, no physician I know works just 40 hours a week. <laughs> you know, 50, 60, up to 100, 120 hours a week. That's your normal. You're on call. You're doing all these things. But one is to help them get more organized so they can actually leave their job on time. And that will be decrease their stress. So they're going to be able to um, spend more time with their families. They're going to be more receptive to saying, hey, I have more time to actually spend with patients and do this. You know, and then just showing them in a, you know, in a 20-minute appointment that you can share life-changing information on lifestyle. And it's just a matter of breaking it down, like you said, 
breaking down a what feels like a very vast and vague, complicated thing, lifestyle change in medicine, to very simple steps. And that's what we have to do for our physicians. And I'm kind of, it's really fun to think about how to do that. Um, <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> but yeah, it was a very long answer to a, sh a question, but I think it's an important one because I think. Yeah, I agree. You know, physicians could be your army of um, change. Really. Right. Absolutely. Boy, I tell you, I could talk about that forever. Um, <laughs> that was definitely. So I'm curious, when you when you started um, running, what was your, what was the, how, how did you come around and, and come up with this, how you cut 103 miles or 103 minutes off of your marathon? I mean, what did you actually do? I mean, that just fascinates me as a runner myself. Yeah, so. Like I said, I didn't know anything about it when I started. I just, like, one of my first few runs really were marathon training runs. So I was just jumped in and started running three miles. Um, so I didn't I didn't know anything about how to train. I didn't know how to properly eat while I was training. Uh, I didn't know how to properly, like, not just not kill myself in the training while I was also trying to do weights in the gym on the other days. So it just, you know, I was all kinds of injuries during that first time. Um I, I did end up doing it, ran ran the first 18 miles and then just totally crashed and like this walk run thing, the rest of it, you know, it was, it was miserable. It was way harder than, way harder than the hundred miler that I did, you know, many years later, that first marathon was just a really, really tough experience. Um, so it was, I had a lot of room to improve. So it's not like I ran a great race out of, out of the gate and then had to, had to improve from there. Uh, so the first thing I did was just learn how to train, like how to, how to be a runner. How do you put together a proper, proper training schedule? How do you not get injured? And even that took me like four years, because because two years after that, I believe, um, I I you know still hadn't really run a, another one, uh, and I went to a physical therapist friend of mine because I had stress fractures, like I had shin splints that would become stress fractures in my leg, and I was like, what what's going on here? And he said, you're just not meant to be a runner, like this, you use some of the body for this, you should pick a different sport. So just all this frustration, and I just wouldn't listen even to that. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to qualify for Boston. So I admire that about myself in some ways. I'm also kind of lucky that I didn't do something really bad to myself. Um, but I, you know, I, once I got over that hump, like once I figured out the, the running, which was kind of the next thing, not just how to train, but like then it became what's running form? How do I run in a way that doesn't get me hurt? Uh, and that that's efficient. Like I didn't, no one had coached me on how to run, and it was sort of made sense to me that, you wouldn't need to be coached on that. Like we all should know how to run. Well, it turns out we don't because we all don't run for like 15 years from between five and 20. Uh, and then like me, we start to think about fitness again and start to try it again. Uh, so that combined with shoes, which is a whole different story that they really have changed the way we run with, with this technology. And thankfully it's, it's kind of going back the other way. Now uh, people are becoming aware of this. So all this stuff, I had to relearn how to run. Once I got over that, once I learned how to train, learned how to run, uh, I'd say that was the first probably 80 minutes of that 103 minutes. So I still had a little ways to go. Uh, then I started paying a lot of attention to diet. And the vegetarian thing, like I said, was sort of a last-ditch effort, almost like a giving up thing. Um, I did this paleo thing. And, you know, I, I'm not a fan of paleo, obviously. But compared to a processed food standard American diet, that's way better. And even if it's not like a great long-term thing in the short term that can, that can work. And for athletic things like that, that kind of thing can work. So I was doing that sort of thing. Um, but really just learning about nutrition. Like I just, I stopped drinking soda. I stopped, I just, all these unhealthy habits, regardless of what diet, particular diet philosophy you follow, nobody's saying drink soda and that's the miracle thing. Right. So I got rid of like most of the really junky stuff. 
uh, still had a lot of it that I just thought was healthy. <laughs> in fact, I I, uh, I did the Body for Life plan when I was starting out, and he said eat brown rice. Like brown rice is your thing. Don't do any white white rice. Uh, I was in college though, and I would go to the dorm or the cafeteria by the dorms, and I would get the fried rice because it was brown. And I thought that's what it was. I was like, I don't really like this that much. Like, I like white so much better than this, but I'm doing it because I got to do So I, you know, I had a lot of things like that where I just had these unhealthy habits because I just didn't know any better. Uh, but so I, I learned a lot about nutrition and then, and then was about 10 minutes shy of it. And that's when I did the vegetarian thing. Still not vegan, but that made just such an enormous difference. And the way it showed up, which a lot of people ask, is that I stopped getting injured. And that was the, like runners, runners deal with, it, with injury. It just, there's a huge injury rate among runners each year. I think it's something like 70% uh, will have some sort of injury. It's just like the sport just comes with injuries. At least that's most people's story. Uh, once I started eating this way, it, that stopped happening. And I don't, I don't like to say it was because I removed the, the poison in my diet that is meat and dairy. You know, like I didn't, I don't really know. And I was still eating some dairy as well at that point because it was just vegetarian. Uh, the real difference for me was that I started eating fruits and vegetables because in all this learning I had done about how do you eat for an endurance diet, it was get this much percentage of your diet from carbohydrate, ideally complex carbohydrate, get this much protein and this much fat. And I could do that and I was doing that, but there was never any broccoli showing up in my dinner or the salad was like an afterthought. You know, I was just, I was just eating by these numbers and they were focusing on macronutrients, not micronutrients. So the major change for me that came with going vegetarian eight years ago was that I started going to the farmer's market, started spending 80% of my grocery store trip and budget in the produce section. And like my whole, my whole plate just changed from this dull lifeless thing into all these fruits and vegetables. And the, of course there was still the complex carbohydrate, the brown, not the fried rice, the brown rice this time, uh, or whatever else, beans, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I think, so let, I don't know, I just have the sense that this injury, prevention thing. And this is not scientific at all, right? I just, I stopped getting injured. So my N equals one study was that that's, that's how it turned out. Um, but I, I, you know, who knows? I've been running for a while and I never experienced anything like that. Never was able to train this hard without an injury. Um, and I just had this sense that it was all this really good food I was putting in my body that I was kind of ignoring before. So I think that's why it worked. I, I would have to second that. I mean, I haven't had a running injury in well, in 10 years, but, um, but I'm very careful how I train, but I certainly noticed recovery huge in the last five, five and a half years that we've been eating this way. And my son, Gabriel, who's 18, he's been, he's been playing baseball varsity level since a freshman. And so he was 13 when we transitioned his diet. He would catch a full game, seven innings, and then pitch most of the second, never sore. And other parents are like, what are you doing? I'm like, he, look what he eats. The kid just is like a veggie machine. And, uh, you know, it's really, I think, and he feels much better. Um, and so now all three of the kids are, are, are plant-based. It's pretty cool. And do you, do you think the, everyone always asks, like, what is the mechanism? Like, in, like, okay, fruits and vegetables are helping you. How are they actually helping you recover faster? Do you think yeah. it's an inflammation thing yeah. or a yeah. nutrient density thing? I think it's everything. I think it's the antioxidants. It's the recovery. It's the mitochondria. It's the, um, you know, the nitric oxide. And you're, you know, you're using... It's, you know, for example, when Gabe, because he's a cross-country runner, this kid can run. He's, like, efficient. Like, it makes me ill. It's just not right, you know? He's just, like, runs like – I call him my little mountain goat. And um, just up a mountain and down the mountain. And, uh, you know, I think 
when we started studying, I started looking for ways of feeding him that would actually fuel him and make him faster. I mean, he can run, you know, a 5K in 15-something. I mean, he's just super oh. fast. And um, what we found was, like, for example, beets. We put beets, we make beet juice, the nitric oxide. The studies show that you're using less oxygen you have because you're more efficient. Your muscles are less fatigued. Your recovery is better. And so we would start doing all this. So I'm looking at the science of it, but there's so many different factors. But absolutely, inflammation is huge. Um, but those antioxidants, it's just flood your body with those greens. It's just so good. Um, but it, it's incredible. I mean, even me, who's, you know, Pat and I or my husband, or we're closing in on, you know, the big five zero, God, um, you know, we're 47 this year. And as we get older, I certainly don't feel it. I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm in my twenties. I know. I think I <laughs> feel my brain. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. That's I, great. I mean, you don't look 50. You don't look even close to 50. Yeah, no, I mean, you don't look 40. <laughs> no, I just, I feel, um, you know, to the point that if I can keep up with my 20-year-olds, I mean, I'm able to do that. Like, I just, we just did a Spartan, and it was great. I mean, we oh, did, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's just, it's an incredible thing for athletes. And, uh, you know, for me, you, you're very kind and don't push people and obnoxious. For me, I'm obnoxious sometimes with patients. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> you know, for me, it's a life-saving message. I tend to be more in yeah. the face and, like, I, I have to go to bed thinking that I, we could save your life by doing this. You know, this is how right. I approach it. And so for your family and friends, have any of them changed outside of your immediate family? Or um, I know there's something with your dad that happened. Can you share how that's been an uh, important factor in your life and changed people's lives? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've it has taken a while, but I think this speaks to the small steps method. Um I'm starting to see a lot of family and friends eat way, way better. And they say it's a result of just following me for all these years. And like, it has finally sort of worn them down, uh, which kind of <laughs> is what happened to my dad. That's I think he just, yeah. I mean, he just kept hearing it. I, I was always very careful because it's just my nature. I don't want to put people. And I think, and I agree, you should be in a different position, like the, the kind of life-saving thing. And I was beginning to wonder that about my dad. As I saw his health deteriorating, it was like, okay, I, I only can do this laid back approaching for so long and then one day he's going to have a heart attack and I'm not going to have a chance to do it again. And I'm going to really, you know, kick myself for not just doing it. Um, so he did have a heart scare a, a couple of years, uh, probably a year and a half ago. Uh, it was atrial, AFib, atrial fibrillation, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, isn't a major scare like a heart attack is. I don't know that much about it. Maybe there are cases where it is, but to him, you know, once you start to feel your heart fluttering in your chest, uh, he said that just kind of was a wake-up call and, and certainly does bring with it some extra stroke risk and some other stuff. Um, so that, that got him really worried. He wanted to find a way to just see if through diet he could somehow change that. And it's not, by the way, clear that, that there's no real evidence that says a plant-based diet would change that, um, that particular you know, condition. But anyway, he, he, at, speaking of Dr. Furman again, uh, it was during the Food Revolution Summit last year that he was at my house. And uh, we were listening to Ocean and John Robbins do, uh, where they interviewed Dr. Furman. My wife and I are big fans of Dr. Furman's work. And we, my dad was visiting like two weeks or something after he'd, he'd done this AFib test, wore the monitor or something for two weeks. And, got, and his doctor wasn't very happy with the results. Uh, and he was afraid now. And we played him this interview. We had him like captive audience in a long car ride. And, and Aaron was like, well, hey, here, let's put this on over here. 
And uh, he, he really resonated. He got it, and it was like you know they just people won't listen to their own family members, but finally they'll they'll hear that message said in a different way from someone that they for whatever reason trust more. And there's plenty of reasons to trust Dr. Furman more. Um, but he said you know that the evidence-based thing just just got him, and he just like was into it, and he was really excited to start doing this. So he uh, he did it. He came with me up to an event in Toronto where I was speaking about a month or two later. And listen to all those guys, you know, listen to Esselstyn, Campbell, Gregor, uh, Dr. Robert Osfeld was there, who also had, had actually helped, you know, had answered some questions of mine that I had about my dad's condition. So, all, you know, he, he was lucky that, that he had, <laughs> I don't say so myself, he was lucky that he had me to introduce me to all these people and just get him, put him in the right direction. Uh, and now a year later, he's, he's still on it. And he's had so many great things happen to his health, including a massive reduction in the amount of the amount of uh, whatever they would be called AFib episodes that he experiences. Uh, and he's just, I mean, he has so much energy back. It's really, really great to see. Mm. Um, I don't know, just, just so many good things. I, I don't like to like be unscientific and say, look, all these health benefits. So therefore this is the miracle cure. But just from what I can see, it's just, it's just amazing what has happened. Uh, and then my mom the other day was like, well, you know, what? she just the other day told me she, she was like, I was thinking about it and I realized I eat so much healthier now. And it's because I've been, just kind of paying attention to you. Like, I just feel like I know someone who always keeps me in touch with nutrition and helps me understand things. Um, so that people are coming around and two friends of mine, one of them is the, went the last friend I would ever expect to do this. In fact, on my first blog post ever, he wrote a comment that said, good luck to you. I could never do this. Hope it works out. <laughs> and like three weeks later, he decided to try being vegetarian. And he's, he's the only one who was went hundred percent vegan and has stayed that way for yeah. eight years now. Um, or I guess he's been six years now because he probably did that shortly after I did. went vegan uh, from being vegetarian. But anyway, so yeah, it happens. And and I think that is the nature of my approach, this sort of slower approach is that it takes longer to work. But I like the small steps approach. I hope that, uh, you know, my hope is that it actually does tend to create people who will stick with it more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to kind of go back to that conversation, that's when people talk about what's the best way to go plant-based, I said, like, the only way I really know is what I did. And I, I spent two years being vegetarian before I even thought about vegan. And before I did that, like, on the way to vegetarian, even that was a process. I, I cut out beef and pork, four-legged animals, cut that out for a year. This is when I was still in the marathon training, thinking I needed the protein, didn't want to give up chicken. Um, so I did that for a year. And then I, as I started to become more open to the idea of becoming vegetarian, uh, I cut out the chicken and had just fish for, like, a month. And then phase that out over, you know, course of a few weeks in my vegetarian. So it's always been these small, really slow steps that required some patience. But I really like that approach. And I know it's not for everyone. There are some people who do not have the luxury of that much time. Like they just, they can't take five years to change their diet. They, they don't, they might die. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like about that is that it kind of made me, I, I got a, I got to practice each new step. So like, going to a restaurant and not being able to order off the meat, the quote unquote meat section, but being able to order from the chicken and fish part of it. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was a little bit of an exercise in, in, you know, avoiding temptation and saying, I'm not doing that because I don't eat that stuff. And then the next step was, was just eating from the fish, you know, just uh, the fish. So the two or three fish things that would be at a typical restaurant mm-hmm. were my choices in addition to whatever was vegetarian, but I wouldn't even think about that because there was no protein <laughs> in that. So I don't, and the same thing happened with talking to family and friends about it. Going to a party and telling them 
you you're not eating the beef thing that they made so special because you just don't eat beef anymore. Like that's a little bit easier than saying. Well, I guess it depends how you look at it, but it's it's a less extreme, less drastic step than saying, "Sorry, I'm vegan, so I can't eat any of this food here." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think that really helped me like learn to just be good at the social situations and and the temptation cravings that kind of stuff. I just got a lot of practice with with it smaller stakes, I guess. Uh, so that's why, and I think that's, I think that, uh, translates to a lot of other habits, diet and not diet, uh, as well. They, these small steps give you a chance to practice and ease your way in and try things on a smaller scale. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a really big fan of that. No, that makes complete sense. I mean, I, I like the idea of practicing small steps and then it just becomes your habit and you just add to it. It's like small, small skills. Yep. Um, hmm. Yeah, for me though, I we literally did it overnight. <laughs> so yeah. I came home and cleaned it all out. Um, That's and great. yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, it's a, it's really simple. But I I see patients, so I'm on the the end of where you were saying. You know, some people don't have the luxury of time. And right. you know, when I have people who, for example, a, a very recent patient, um, you know, when I see patients that have severe cardiac disease and still having unstable what we call angina, where they're just being medically treated but they still have you know chest pain at rest and they have uncontrolled diabetes and uncontrolled hypertension on all these host of medications if i don't do something drastic they will not necessarily be alive in a year or two and so um you know so i guess it's a different approaches for everyone and i i think i really like your approach for kids because they tend Mm. to be a little bit easier for families to just meld their way into you know kind of you know just kind of ease into it and before they know it they're eating healthy and um i found that kids they really are interested in this they like uh the colors and they like the being in the kitchen and they actually think it's fun you know like gabriel my youngest he likes to be different honestly oh yeah he likes to tell people he's vegan and he just you know he kind of relishes being different in that way so that's interesting i I think our my our, my daughter's a little too young. I mean, she she certainly knows she's vegan and she knows what it means. She doesn't talk about it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she's too young to be proud of that. But my seven year old, he he is at that phase. Like he likes telling people that he likes that he's vegan. He likes just talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I've wondered if that's something that's like because he's so young and like once he gets into more like the peer pressure situation, then it becomes harder to and you want to fit in more. Uh, so that that's really interesting and and uh, encouraging. Not actually. for not for Gabe, no. Um, Jonathan too, he could care less. He goes, hey, I do this because it's great. I mean, like Jonathan's 21, and he's in college and he's done this in college. He's super healthy because I know he sends me the grocery receipts. I give him money whenever <laughs> he's like, hey mom, right. all plants again, you know, and uh, um, you know it's. For him, he's like, I just feel good, and he's into lifting weights, and he's probably gained 30 pounds of lean muscle since he was, you know, mid-teenager. Wow. And so, um, and he's a, he, if you take a picture of Jonathan, he's this little skinny, scrawny kid with glasses, and now he's into this young man who's like, you know, buff and lean, and uh-huh. I, yeah, I wouldn't mess with him. So it's that's, just... That's really great. Yeah. I got, I got a good number of emails from like... I don't know, just just mothers, maybe sometimes even grandmothers who are who have who have seen the light and come around mm-hmm. and they're like, and I really want to get my 19 year old son on board, but he's all into bulking up and he needs his whey protein powder. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, I don't know what to say to that guy. Like I would, you know, that's a hard, hard uh, person to change. So I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a great uh, case study that he's had such success with it. Yeah, you know, but then I I, re- I direct them to like the Frank Madrano. 
you know, I show mm-hmm. them those videos. I'm like, here's a guy that's not only super lean and, and very defined, um, but super strong. The 300-pound athlete, you know, um, mm-hmm. or vegan, uh, was it David Carter? David and, Carter, yeah. um, you know, you know, Robert Cheek and um, all of these amazing athletes at the top of their game who are recovery. And I tell people, you know, I tell, see, tell them they're going to have an edge over their competition. And so give them that little spark. I mean, honestly, that really yeah. is true. Their recovery, their their ability to sleep, their energy, um, it's remarkable. And But as far as the bulking up, I mean, my boys do, um, when they're doing that type of thing, or when Gabe's training for cross country, he'd run, you know, seven miles a day, and you're running up mountains in Colorado and whatever. They do use, like, a plant-based protein powder, um, mm-hmm. a pea or rice protein. Um, and... You know, which is okay. It's not my favorite thing for them to do, but I understand they they struggle yeah. to eat enough calories, and um, right. and it works. And so, I'm okay with that as a mom and a doctor. Um, <laughs> so, um, I don't necessarily need that, but they did at that time. They don't necessarily do it now. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's very true. So yeah, the 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 older kid thing for me it was my harbor was my daughter. She was 18, and then she went off to college about three or four months later after we changed our diet and um, she would come home and eat this way and never complain, eat it. But she actually, not until the last, this year actually converted her diet completely. She had been playing around a vegetarian and then Mm -hmm. um, now she's completely open to it. So um, I was like, finally at 23, it's like, oh, the last one. But Pat lost 65 pounds. I don't know when we saw you guys. Yeah. I don't know if you guys were close. Yeah, in 2015, right? Wasn't that in 2015? He looked like I can't imagine losing that much weight on top of that. I mean, oh I, no, I mean, no, not, yeah, not, not since then. Okay. No, not since then. No, he lost 65 pounds since 2012. Okay. Um, he lost it the first 50, I think, the first three months, and then you know the last wow. 15, 20 over the course of a few How years. How did he lose 50 pounds? How did he lose 50 in three months? Just going vegan. I mean, we literally Just, did it overnight. Uh huh. And wow. um, 50 pounds. I was like, I look at pictures now. I'm like. How did this happen? <laughs> I mean, we were married. We've married 24 years. And so you think about it, that's, what, 19 years. I mean, I guess he just must have added on a pound or two or five pounds, you know, here and there. And then just before you know it, it's like, wow. You just, it just like, it's like that slow. It's kind of like when you put that frog in the water and you turn up the boiling water slowly. Uh-huh. I think that's yep. just kind of what happened. And he was certainly going to be heading down the wrong path for health. But we're, he's, wow. yeah, it's crazy. Very crazy. But I had some other questions. As far as when you, you have some other stuff on your website that's very helpful, what other, you know, like you have, isn't it the No Meat Athlete Academy? Is that what it's? Yes. Right? We have a membership site called the Academy, okay. uh, which is, which is kind of just for people who like want something more, who kind of want to just like go another level. Okay. Um, and that's where we, where we, it's not necessarily every month nowadays. Now we're trying to put more time into better things um, as far as, like, making making better stuff that goes out in there. Um, some of it, though, takes two months to make. But it's just, you know, a lot more um, in-depth kind of audio content or, like, we'll put a, a seven-day meal plan type thing in there that, that is based on, like, the seven foods that I think you should eat every single day. Um, things like that. Just kind of this other level of stuff that, like, is a little too much work for me to put on the blog as, like, free stuff. It's just would take way too much time. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's like, it's just a paid resource for people who, who want more. Um, and then we've got other stuff like that. We've got marathon training programs, uh, other meal plan type programs. 
and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, so it's all at nomadathlete.com. If you go there, it's not too hard to find those types of resources. And then your cookbook, when is it coming out? The cookbook comes out in, I think, 10 days from today, actually. May cool. 16th, 2017. Okay. Um, and it, it will be available pretty much everywhere. Cool. It'll be, it should be in, uh, in regular bookstores and Amazon and everything else, all the other places. Too. That's fantastic. And so is there any advice that you like for someone comes up to you, they're brand new. What is the first piece of advice that you give to someone who's looking to change their diet or to become healthier? What would be that, that one thing you know that's going to help someone make this transition? The easiest thing, I don't know if this is, I, I think this is probably the answer. Um, the thing I end up saying the most is pointing people towards eating whole foods. And I, I like that one because unlike some plant-based people, like I don't, I don't, if I hear someone is like doing the paleo thing, I don't discourage them from that right away. I don't try to say, oh, vegan so much better than that. You should do that. Now, if there's somebody who's been into it forever and they're already healthy or, or quote-unquote healthy, but they look good, you know, then I will try to talk to them about, about vegan and we can have an argument or a discussion about it. Um, but someone who's, like, just getting in shape, if, you know, if they're having the discipline and, and, you know, finding the willpower or the strategies that avoid taxing the willpower to make something like paleo work, I, what I do is I'm like, yeah, you know, that what a lot of people think that and plant-based are so different, but what they have in common is that they're all about whole foods. And that's, like, what they do. They both have cut out so much stuff. And if you look at, like, standard American diet or the way, who knows, 95% of people eat. And then those people, if those people who eat that way were looking at the paleo and the vegan, they'd say those two over there are the weird people over in this corner. When we think we're so opposed, we think we're like in opposite corners, we're probably just, I mean, we're not that different. We, we, yeah, certainly they eat meat, we don't. Uh, that's a big part of it. We have more carbohydrate, they eat more fat and protein. Uh, but we do both all or all eat whole foods if you're doing either one of these diets the right way. So I tend to think of that as kind of my universal thing I can tell to anyone so that they won't say, ah, oh, he's just trying to get me to go vegan. If, if someone like, let's say someone comes to me, just says, I don't know what to do. I, I need to lose weight. That person, I will, I will encourage them to do plant-based because I will point out uh, the caloric density thing. I'll say, if you do this, what's nice about having something like this is it gives you a set of guardrails or guidelines that – conveniently removes the foods that pack in a whole lot of calories into a really small space. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard not to lose weight if you just start eating whole foods, and especially if you start choosing the whole foods that are not calorically dense. Um, so that, that's about as you know in-depth as I will go. I don't, I don't want to scare people off. I don't want it to turn into a weird nutrition discussion and like get arguing about some tangent that just is, is totally aside from the main point. Uh, so eat whole foods for me. It's just it's hard, you know, very little disagreement with that. Um, but the fact is, most people don't do that, and even people who think they are doing that don't really do that. Uh, it, it's so easy just to think that your your the jarred whatever you're buying from the grocery store is a whole food until you look at the ingredients and you realize it's not even close. Uh, so that's that's where I tend to just start those discussions from. I think that's an excellent approach because honestly, when I take patients on. Um, on grocery store tours, which I do, which I did even in Colorado, but I do more so here. We do it every week. And mm -hmm. when I have them look and I'm like, okay, we're standing in front of, let's say, the, uh, you know, pasta sauces and the marinaras and all that. It's like, go find a healthy, 
pasta sauce, you know, and they're looking at it. And we're, but we're talking about oil and sugars and added salts and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And then we're, you know, looking at crackers and they're reading ingredients and they can't even pronounce the chemical equation that's been, you know, on, on 90% of the ingredients. You're exactly right. People think just because it says healthy that it's healthy. You know, my one of my favorite is the Pam spray. The oil? Oh, yeah. Oh, my yep. gosh. And I, I, I tell people, like, what does it say in the front? It says olive oil. It's like, okay, read on the back. And what have we learned about olive oil? It's pure fat. Okay. What are the servings of fat? It says zero. <laughs> and what are the calories? Zero. And they're looking at me and looking at that going, I don't understand. It's like, well, what's the serving size? It's like a fifth of a second. I'm like, you right. know, it's like literally <laughs> priming the pump. And uh, so, you know, then I started diving into, like, books like The Dorito Effect and salt, sugar, fat by, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dr. Or Mr. Moss. And it's just the food industry. I mean, yeah. that alone could be, I mean, a podcast all by itself. If all you spoke about was just what they've done to our food. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. It's overwhelming. And doctors don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. And we don't even have a clue right. about basic nutrition. We don't definitely don't have a clue about what's actually being fed to our, our kids and the marketing and it's just so much. Yeah, it's it's hard to think about that. It's overwhelming. I, I remember I read uh, T. Colin Campbell's book Whole, mm. and walked away with it, happy to have learned all this stuff, but not very happy about the, the situation. I was like, man, this is a we are up against a monster here. Uh, so yeah, I, I know. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know what you can do. I mean, it's just it, you know, this is how I've decided because we're not going to change the government. I actually went to D.C. in February, and I spoke um, with a group of other physicians, and I asked a congressman about, um, you know, bringing lifestyle medicine and, you know, nutrition and, you know, getting certain things out of our school lunch programs and all this stuff. And he told me, he goes, you don't want the federal government involved. This needs to be a local and state level approach. Um, And I'm like thinking to myself, well, yeah, we want big government involved because if they would mandate certain things, you're the reason (laughs) the federal government's the reason we have certain programs. And then we had another congressman tell us they he stood up there. And what we are we're we're a group called Physicians Working Together. It's kind of a we're kind of a new group that's formed together with a coalition of several groups to come together and help. with changing healthcare, and we want to be the representative of patients, not you know some lobbyists, and not right. the the AMA, which only represents maybe fifteen percent of physicians, if that. And anyway, we had this congressman come up to us in front of, I mean, and I was Facebook living it too, so this was not just you know just a group of us sitting in a small room. We were videoing mm-hmm. it and everything. He goes, "I'm going to tell you guys something right now that's really going to be really hard for you to understand um, or listen to." What you spent on your plane trip up here is what you're going to have to actually donate to your, you know, congressman from your state or whatever to actually spend time with them to get their ear. So basically he's saying you're going to have to pay your way into being heard. And I'm just sitting here Hmm. going, are you kidding me? I was like, you're talking to a group of physicians. You probably have a little bit more disposable income. If you'd have actually taken us aside and said, you know what? I'll be your ear. I'll be listening to you. You probably would have raised money. Um, but, I mean, it's just like, I'm like, so you're just basically saying, oh, this is how it works. You have to pay for me to represent your, your interests. I'm like, God, are you kidding me? So I haven't wow. gone back. Um, so, But I think it's going to have to be a ground roots, for example. So, yeah, it sure seems dollar. like, it, I mean, it makes the most sense, right? Like, eventually, 
if that's what everyone wants, <laughs> not everyone, but if a lot of people want, a lot more people want this stuff, eventually just something's got to give, right? I mean, eventually it won't be profitable to keep keep doing what is being done. And and then I guess laws will probably follow that uh, mm-hmm. as needed. So, yeah, I, it's, it's something, I, mean, I guess it's sort of an excuse. I, I tend, I, I'm not even close to an expert on stuff. I'm not even very informed about the, you know, policy and all that stuff. I, I always come back to it. And I'm like, maybe this is a cop-out, but maybe it's right. It's like, I'm just going to try to get as many people to do this as I can. That's the best so. way. I mean, I think I agree. It's a 100% approach as far as for me. I got to get physicians involved so we can get more patients involved because that's how you're going to hit that critical mass, right? You get so many mm-hmm. people and then you hit that tipping point and then boom, your early adopters and then everyone else will follow suit. But if you can get doctors on board teaching lifestyle medicine, sharing this message, understanding what's actually going on, that's how you're going to change. Do you think that precedes getting patients on board or do you get the patients, like get the people on board first and then their doctors need to be that way? I think there's, I think we have a lot of people like, you know, for example, um, Dr. Greger's a great website, nutritionfacts.org. We have, you know, the Forks Over Knives group, the Engine 2. We have all these amazing resources, Dr. Furman's um, website, his books that are very um, informative for patients and the average layperson to read and move forward. And then people like you and other people sharing that message. But there is not much. We have the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, um, but we don't have a whole lot as far as actually looking at the physician themselves, one, improving their health. Oh, we're, we're a sorry lot. As far as health-wise, I mean, because we have the same issues. We're under so much stress. Um, and we haven't really got into to medical schools or residency programs and actually taught physicians how to do this well. And I think that's a real open area that's, that's hungry for change. Because when I talk to physicians, they're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. They're not going to change anyway. And I think that's going to be key is that we utilize our physician force. I mean, there's almost a million of us in the United mm-hmm. States. So, and it could be as simple as, you know, a cardiologist saying, hey, you just had a heart attack. I saved your life. <laughs> now I want you to eat this diet so you don't have mm-hmm. to come back and see me. Um, right. You know, or you have, um, you know, a GI doc. It's like you have Crohn's disease. There's actually some very interesting studies going plant-based and keeping someone with inflammatory bowel disease in remission. You don't have hmm. to have, you know, bloody stools and chronic pain and be on these medications necessarily, um, you know, that suppress your immune system, increase risk for cancers and all this. So there's so much, you know, I have a, right, you know, I've had type one diabetic come in with blood sugars in the 400s and then crashing low. Now you get them in, you know, really tight control and they're enjoying their life. They feel great. They, the whole world changes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it's, I think it's a matter of getting both. I think, but I, I think it's a, it's a point of, of need as physicians. We have to work with our physicians. You know, when you speak to like Dr. Campbell, T. Colin Campbell, when I met him on that same cruise, um, he was all about we have to go to physicians and tell them how to do this. We have to tell them how mm. to be able to do this in a 15-minute appointment and actually bill for it and make money. And there is a way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there's not a forum for us all to speak. You know, there's not like a, you know, I, I've tried to create Facebook groups with physicians and, and it's grown, but we're not talking in there. We're not utilizing our knowledge and, and, our, and our 
stuff. But for example, right. I spent an hour and a half on the phone this morning with a doc from California who's totally interested in doing that. He just doesn't know where to go or how to start. And uh -huh. um, even though we just joined the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, there's not there's not a direction saying doctors here. This is where we start. And uh, I think that's where the next revolution is going to be or evolution there you go. is. So you can start it, right? I'm so working on it. You have no idea. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think the podcast is is key. Um, oh, yeah. You know, just sharing it from a doctor's perspective um, and talking to people like you and. You know, I, I really am trying. It's, But it is, like you said, it seems Good. just so overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably any any big important problem seems that way, right? Yeah, it is. And it is. It's nice <laughs> when you get um, like-minded people, though, together. I think that's why I enjoy the podcast because it you don't feel like you're the lone voice in the wilderness, you know? It's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. But, you know, Matt, this has been really cool. Um, so May 16th, I'm going to um, – Share your blog to, or excuse me, the blog. Share the podcast this evening so everyone can be aware of the book and Great. at least Thank in you. my audience. And um, very excited to see, um, you know, what you have in there and the kiddos and see how they grow. It's so much fun, you and Aaron. And um, just want to, you know, I try to do. At the end of every podcast, I like to say thank you to what you've been doing and acknowledge you. And because um, I think, you know, it's one thing for people to listen and they just take um, for granted the, the work you do and the knowledge that you're sharing. And they don't understand the, the roads and the hard work and the late up night, you know, kind of come up with new content and putting this all out. And I think that's fabulous. And so just want to say thank you for people who may or may not have been able to share that with you. So. Oh, well, thank you. you very much. I, I that is really nice to hear. And, uh, <laughs> and you're right. A lot of people. It's. I mean, and I think that's that that comes with it, right? Like you know, you're going to reach a lot of people who you will never know you reached, uh, mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to have to have faith. And and the few times you do hear good stuff, you need to realize that it probably goes for a lot of people. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, when we were on the cruise, do you guys remember how we met? Do you remember uh, that? You were you the, when you got my book in the bookstore. My was? husband was reaching for your book at the bookstore, okay. and he was like, uh -huh. "Oh, look at this! This is this guy runs, and you know, he's this." And then Erin comes and she goes, "Oh, that's my husband's book." And I was like, "Hey, this." Because <laughs> I would never, I would never go say, "Hey, that's my book." But that's exactly right. And Pat was just like, he was in love since then. So, ah, um, well, we, yeah, we had a great time. Was, and then we had like our friends group that yep. had dinner every night. After that. That was awesome. <laughs> I know, and I'm I'm still in touch with all those guys. It was was a lot of fun and mm -hmm. um you went back on the the cruise this year didn't yeah, I've you been on, i've been on twice since then that's and, awesome uh, my, my dad came with me this year which oh, is really fun cool i bet he yeah. was did he have a good time he did he loved it and he, he just soaked up all the information it was it was uh it was really good for him oh that's so very cool well again thank you for your time and um I, I'm so thankful for you uh taking the time out of your day to spend with me and let me uh, talk to you you are very welcome. I'm so glad that you are, are doing this and uh, would love to have you on, on our No Meat Athlete podcast sometime to, to help cool. share your message there. Yeah, anytime. Just let me know. All right. <laughs> thanks. All right. Thanks a lot.